0: We follow them too, and we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to part two of our conversation with Alan and Cole, the co-founders of Acid League. This episode's a good one. We talk a lot about the industry at large. And so just even anecdotally, I know so many people, especially during COVID, who have either scaled back their drinking or they've cut out alcohol altogether. And it's really inspiring. I I think it's impressive how fast this category is growing, how many new products are popping onto the market every day. And who better to learn from than two of the people who are pushing the envelope in this category. So with that, please welcome Cole and Alan back to part two of They Get It.
1: Welcome back for part two of our chat with Alan and Cole from Acid League. So last episode, we talked a lot about the background of the business and this incredible experimentation arm. And Alan, something you touched on in that episode was um, that you are really, or someone on your team is really good at finding these trends that just like hit off in the consumer space. And the non-alcoholic beverage industry has been absolutely blowing up in the last year. I feel like I see a new brand every week with some kind of claim or that it tastes like alcohol or that you get um, some kind of like uplifting mood from it. Or I see these things all the time. And I want to hear from you guys, especially being having food science backgrounds. Where do you think this trend comes from?
2: For a while now, for years, we've seen non-alcoholic gins, mostly, to be frank, but non-alcoholic spirits. You know, there was a new non-alcoholic gin like twice a week for for forever. It seems like, and you know, the trend of people I think wanting to drink less has been happening um, for a long time, actually and it's it's been it's been underserved um, in the spirits i think because it was easier to make spirits i think a lot of people gravitated towards that i think in recent times people have been trying to make non-alcoholic beers for a while but a huge occasion is wine of course especially especially with you know that's that's t- you know it's tied to us like the culinary world we can get into like you know what what exists in wine that makes it so special um, in fact, I can touch on it now. I mean, the, you know, the fact that, you know, you get tannins, you have acidity, you have sweetness, you even have glycerol, which is like, it sounds really technical, but it's, just, it's naturally occurring. The acid profile, it's not just one acid, but, you know, you have a, a, a lovely blend of you know, tartaric acid, which exists you know, heavily in grapes. It's, it's, it, it's, it's something that is very unique to wine. Like beer doesn't have these components, Spears don't have those components. Water, soda, nothing. No other beverage really has these components. It was really popular to just dealkalize wine, mm-hmm. and sure, it's dealkalized wine. It was wine at one point, but you lose what was actually great about wine, like that mm-hmm. structure. And so for us, it wasn't the way to to achieve a final product that had everything that wine had. Sure, it's not wine, but. It has all the elements that make wine great for pairing with food, and I think that just didn't exist when we when we were launching the business.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: To add, to Alan. Um, so, on top of all the things that he just explained, we were noticing more and more that people in a more high end restaurant environment were also gravitating towards maybe juice pairings. You know, you go to Noma, mm-hmm. and instead of having a, a wine pairing with your meal, you can have a juice pairing that's could be in-house fermented kombucha with a uh, beautiful watermelon and lime juice on your second course and so on and so forth. And, you know, you take that idea and a lot of where al- Acid leak derives from and sort of what I alluded to earlier is like big food is so bulky. When you examine the restaurant industry, it's usually five years ahead of retail. Hmm. But because of who we are and what we're able to accomplish, like, why can't we identify trends in the industry and then utilize that? So if on a product level, a good example would be yuzu. Yuzu is like massive. And you two are from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Aloe went crazy for yuzu. Everything on the menu is yuzu this, yuzu that, yuzu. And Alan and I are like, okay, well, obviously, that like you don't see anything in the market with yuzu. Let's come out with a honey yuzu vinegar. We have a pink peppercorn honey yuzu vinaigrette in Whole Foods right now. And all of a sudden, I am at my parents' house. I'm watching TV. And there's this massive Loblaw campaign of Yuzu's cheesecake and Yuzu this. I was going to say. And, you know, a few years later. And so I, I think in the same vein, you think about like a cultural shift as well. So not a product, but also I yes. a behavior. And we yeah. were like, why can't we recreate that and make a more accessible behavior instead of having somebody, you know, going to a high-end restaurant, fermenting their own kombucha, or whatever it may be, we were mm-hmm. able to sort of harness that and productize it.
0: Yeah. I've heard from a lot of different like food and beverage brands that we've gotten a chance to speak with that one of the hardest things in like scaling these companies are having products that people don't immediately recognize the taste profile in their head after seeing it, you know, on a shelf or on your e-commerce store because you guys are so creative and you play with so many different flavors how do you find that applies to you? Because I would, I would guess that most of your customers have never even experienced anything close to what you're putting on the shelf.
2: Yeah, (laughs) I think, I think it's, I think we're developing a a relationship with the world, right? Um, A lot of it really comes from what we find interesting and just, just, you know, uncandidly. So, it's, it's not to say that we aren't strategic, obviously, we do look at, you know, who we're likely to sell to, in different channels. That being said, I think, you know, is you know, cool touched on it before, you get, you, you, you really, really have that relationship with a customer in, in such a more tight way than you do at retail. And so you can have those conversations. And I mean, when I say conversations, I mean, like, actual conversations, if you want. yeah. Um, and and really understand, you know, are, are, is your hypothesis true? Like for us, you know, I've spoken a little bit about like working to ASOP and, and really wanting to create memorable experiences. But we also have to think about, you know, what is something that is understandable? And I look to, you know, Cole, Cole, Cole used to run a lot of, um, a lot of like dinner parties um, in university. I used to help him out. And I remember, like we tried a lot of stuff. I mean, we were in food science, so we tried a lot of stuff. I believe uh, that. Just, Probably just some very happy you know, guests. Yeah, just for fun. Um, but I think the the one item that I look to and in, in, in seeing that like it is how I think about making digestible innovation, like <laughs> pun intended, is is when we served a carbonated strawberry. Um, when you look, it, it, it looks like a strawberry. It feels like a strawberry. It is a strawberry. All it is is that the water content inside has been carbonated. So when you have it, you think it's a strawberry because everything up leading up to that point, it looks like a strawberry. It feels like a strawberry. Wow. When you bite down on it, even, it, it even feels like a strawberry. And then the last minute, you get bubbles. And it's a completely confounding experience, but it was completely understandable because the flavor was very familiar. Mm -hmm. and so thinking about thinking about experience you know you're talking about like understanding customer experience thinking about experience through that lens where it needs to push the boundaries with a focus to experience being exceptional and memorable Mm -hmm. but you know what it is and how we kind of communicate what something is to the customer still has to be familiar enough that you know we're not there explaining what something is all the time it's like Mm -hmm. it still needs to be something grounded in in, you know, food, and, and that's why we look to, you know, we're not like a, a molecular gastronomy company from like the early 2000s trying to make like the craziest food into foam and stuff like that. We do look to, we do look to the history of food. You know, we, we respect, you know, where food comes from and the heritage of a lot of flavor combinations. And we do look to that for inspiration. And so what you'll find in a lot of our products is a lot of respect for where certain flavor comes from. Uh, you know, combinations come from, and then kind of our take or our riff on mm-hmm. how to make that you know next level.
3: And, and I, I will say, like, we don't shy away from holding their hand either. And, and I say that in a way that you have to make it accessible, and the way that we've been able to accomplish that is through design you know like you can have these crazy flavors but if you have like packaging design that doesn't catch somebody's eye and nobody's attracted to it then you're kind of failing you know h- half the challenge to get the, the them to understand mm-hmm. culturally where this product derives from mm-hmm. and you know our third co- our fourth co-founder ray our art director is just absolutely brilliant in being able to communicate a sense and feeling through the packaging design mm-hmm. you know and charlie our copywriter he also does an excellent job of being able to write and describe the qualities of these foods. So for example, something as basic as our vinegars, for example, we took a lot from the wine world. So on the side of the label, we have tasting notes pairs with, you know, how, so that way you don't have to be, Oh, there's a strawberry rose vinegar. Like how am I going to use this? Well, bam, you're primed right away. You understand like, yes, I get it. Mm-hmm. And so everything sort of feeds into the X. Like you can't, it's really difficult to go too innovative too quickly because you have, of course, um, people who might not find it as accessible because of they're unfamiliar with the product concept.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, like I've seen your products in stores. I've seen your Instagram ads. I've actually seen some really cool TikTok ads from you guys over the past (laughs) few days. So good job on those. But I think you do do a really good job of, brand storytelling through your packaging. And it makes me want to try your product, even though I'm not totally sure what it's going to taste like. I think mm. um, I think that's huge. One thing I wonder about since this industry is growing so much, are you worried about your competition or since your product is so different and you have such a broad um, mm. line of products, is it not as much of a concern?
3: I think like speed to market is really important. And we capitalized on dry January this year. And that was yeah. our big launch to the world. We literally came up with the proxies concept of like September of that year. Alan's oldest friend, Devin, is a winemaker and he's been traveling all over the world, was looking for his new gig and he was working with Alan and I for a little bit on in production. And we're like, We have this opportunity, like take it away, do your thing, you know, and and he went crazy and like was able to find different single varietal juices and different teas and spices and create the same ethos that Alan and I had created for the rest of the products. But we needed to do that speed. We needed to get over, as I alluded to in our previous episode, um, that minimum viable product. Like you, you have to get it out to the world. Wow. And I was just listening to a podcast like Reed Hastings from Netflix was saying like, you have to almost be embarrassed of your first products that you put out into the world, because that's what how you're going to learn. That's what's how it's going to get. So no matter who, what, and where the next player comes from, <laughs> we're the first. So <laughs> I think it's, a, yeah. or at least a, one that has made the impact on a, on a
2: scale, the way that we have achieved. Yeah. Devin, Devin is constantly embarrassed because his standards are so high. Uh, <laughs> I have, I have like a more, I have like a more like, I don't know like a kumbaya kind of view on it, to be honest with you. Like, I love that there's competition. Like, the fact that there's, like, 10 new contemporary vinegar companies means that, you know, I I spoke about it earlier. Like, we look at cult to mainstream as, like, our our area of play. And And the fact that there are people trying it. And it's not like they copied us, right? These are genuine like people with real stories that are different than us. And they arrived at vinegar differently than us. And there's a lot of great vinegar out there. And I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of great non-alcoholic wines in the mm-hmm. future. And I'm excited for it. Um, we're excited to like, learn from other people. And, and, you know, we have our vision and we're always growing our vision of how to make our products. But, you know, people are innovating. You know, it's not like we're the only innovative company. There's other people trying things and there's a lot to of stuff to learn from, from other people mm-hmm. and collaborating is super exciting to me. And the very fact that there are people doing this right after, you know, like right after we're doing yeah. it means that they were likely working on it at the same time and we aren't alone or we're, we didn't re- misread the world, you know, um, they also huh. get it. So.
0: You didn't mm-hmm. misread the world. That is a really interesting way of looking at it. And you're right, there is like a ton of validation and confidence that comes from that. If I could take a guess, I don't think anyone's lead times from product to or from idea to like, you know, actually product on shelves, like four months is insane, you guys. If nothing else, even if you didn't produce another idea, for I don't know, months from now, just the fact that your process is so drilled down and so efficient, I feel like you'll always maintain your market share that way.
3: It's also not to mention that it's three new products a month. Like I think that's like a big like, like The proxies <laughs> alone. The proxies
2: alone, which is
3: like, you know, a, a subsection of the company. Sorry, yeah, I should have been made reference. Three new proxies each month come out for the wine club.
1: Yeah, that is serious competitive advantage. Yeah, I think because yeah, you're getting things out there. You're getting feedback. I love this approach you're taking. And I have to say, I really love that there is this trend towards not drinking or people being sober curious. Maybe it's just because I hate drinking and I feel shitty and anxious the next day after and I just don't do it very much. But it's really nice to see this shift away from something that really just doesn't serve a lot of people. So it's, it's awesome to see better options coming out. And Yeah, we love to see
2: it. I'd love to touch on like the the previous point, which was, um, you know, launching new products all the time. I think for us, we had seen it done in fashion and cosmetics very often. And there's so much benefit to it. Um, You know, you, you get to try more stuff like we've been talking about. And you really get to push innovation way faster that way because you learn so much more like, you know, food companies are hesitant to try things because it does take a lot of energy typically Mm -hmm. to put something out into the market. And it's scary when they're, you know, you can't get feedback really, really quickly. I think that's changing. And I think if you look to beer, they're making new beer all the time, like beer flavors, for example.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And, and so in that sense, There has been something in food and beverage that had done it before, but I would say that for us, it's a little bit more challenging because it's not like we're making new vinegar flavors all the time. We're actually making like completely new products all the time. Um, And yeah, it's, it's it's a wild ride.
0: And I have to imagine, not to veer this conversation too far in a different direction, but I have to imagine that there are going to be massive network effects for you. As you're entering into so many new product categories, you're going to find new people that find you through different ways, and because they have that trust with your brand, they're going to like at uh, like Acid League products just on the shelf over other products out there. So I think you're actually really smart to hustle hard at the beginning and get people interested because it will pay dividends when they buy one of every product category that you guys are into.
3: <laughs> well, Kelsey, like you, you sort of hit the nail on the head. Like we didn't allude to it earlier on in this conversation, but like Acid League was named fundamentally because of our not only league of products but our collaborators and we try to make it as absolutely like, as inclusive as possible and like those yeah. people as you sort of were talking about like that network can extend anywhere it's not just within the food world but as alan talked about fashion cosmetics you know
0: yeah.
3: skateboard skateboards like <laughs> anything oh
0: my gosh
3: that's you a fantasy that. of mine, not Alan's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day, I'll be your first customer. <laughs> you guys, this has been so much fun. I feel like this is an industry to watch. You guys may feel like the ship has already sailed or it's already pretty mainstream, but I promise you, for people that don't run in these circles, it hasn't hit yet. So you guys are ahead of the trend, and I'm just so excited to see where Acid League goes in the next year, two years, ten years. Well, I'll be buying your skateboards. <laughs>
2: I love
0: that. <laughs> okay, it wouldn't be the end of the They Get It podcast if I didn't ask for everyone listening on Apple Podcasts to please jump back into the app, leave us a rating, leave us a review if you can. I promise it'll only take five seconds and it means so much to us. Thank you for everyone that has done it, by the way. We don't give you enough love for already having rated and reviewed our podcast, but We do appreciate you and we really do love you for it. So make sure to stay tuned in two more days. We will be releasing the final part of our conversation with Alan and with Cole. So make sure to keep an eye out for that next release and let us know what you think.